listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. Uh, if you listened to the show last week, um, you may remember that I talked on the show about Carl Stern, who is another rather notable Jewish convert to the Catholic Church. It's one of the favorite things for me to do on this show is to give the witness testimonies of other enthusiastic Jewish-turned-Catholic converts. And uh, I only had time, actually, to give his conversion story and to begin reading some of his reflections on the relationship between Judaism and Catholicism last week. And near the end of the show, I promised to continue with Carl Stern this week. So that is what I plan to do. Uh, I do not intend to repeat his witness testimony. The shows are archived on Radio Maria's website. You can go there and look at the podcasts and, and download or listen to last week's show if you missed it. And they're also archived on my website, which is salvationisfromthejews.com. But I will just briefly say that uh, Carl Stern was a psychiatrist. His dates are 1906 to 1975. He died in 1975. He was an early Freudian, uh, a brilliant psychiatrist, and um, who came to realize that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah and became a rather passionate Catholic uh, convert. So last week I did talk more explicitly about the events around his um, coming to the realization that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah of Judaism. So I won't do that again this week. I will just read a couple of short passages where he alludes to his own conversion, and then I'll go on with some of his observations about the relationship between Judaism and Catholicism and the meaningfulness of Jewish ethnic identity before the coming of the Messiah versus after the coming of the Messiah. In other words, uh, the phenomenon of Jews remaining Jewish, so to speak, even though the Jewish Messiah has come. So to turn to some of his comments about the nature of conversion itself. This I'm now reading from his a spiritual autobiography, Pillar of Fire by Carl Stern. To write the story of a conversion is a foolish undertaking, for the convert that turned around is a fool. He is a fool in the sense in which St. Paul uses this word. All stories of conversion appear to have something subjective, arbitrary, some tragic secret. The communication contains something incommunicable. Even the story of St. Augustine, told by a powerful spirit in the crystalline, translucent atmosphere of the Mediterranean, contains that foolish, devious something, the element of dark solitude. All true love is subjective and unique, and at the same time creates communion. Here, as always, Love of the sexes is an image of divine love. There is something about falling in love which cannot be re-experienced by the outsider. It is something lonely. The lovers leave everything behind them. 
Yet love is not true love when it is only unique and lonely. It must also create community. Seen from outside, a conversion is something adventurous and anarchic. We know from the story of poor Don Quixote how foolish it looks for someone to take ideas so seriously that he really rides away from home. However, the fact that the first voyage of Columbus appeared like a gigantic quixotry did not disprove the existence of the sought-for continent. If there are certainties, one must be able to find them. That one simple question, whether Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate, becomes increasingly decisive between people as history moves forward. Dostoevsky once said that it is the one question on which everything in the world depends. The answer to this question cuts into human ties and seems to reflect even on the nature of inanimate things. What if all that is folly in the eyes of the Greeks and scandal in the eyes of the Jews is truth? So that was a passage from Carl Stern's uh, Pillar of Fire. And let me just comment on that. Uh, speaking of myself, uh, as many of most of you probably know, I am myself a Jewish convert to the Catholic Church. And when I told my family about my conversion, when I speak to Jewish friends of mine about my conversion, their first reaction tends to be along the lines of, you know, how can you believe in Jesus? You're Jewish. Or how can you become Catholic? You're Jewish. As though the question revolved around me. Nothing is more obvious than that, that Nothing can be further than, from the truth than that, because the question does not revolve around the convert. The question revolves around who was Jesus of Nazareth. Either Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate, or he was not God incarnate. That's all that matters. That is the only question that really matters about conversion to Christianity. And in some sense, as Dostoevsky said, it is the one question on which everything in the world depends, whether Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate or not. The question is not what's going on with Roy Shoman. The question is not what's going on with Carl Stern. The, there are no questions which have the centrality of the importance of that question. Was Jesus of Nazareth God incarnate? If he was God incarnate, that changes everything. It not only changes everything about being Jewish, of course it changes everything about being Jewish, Jewish, because if Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate, then he was the Jewish Messiah. And for a Jew to follow the Jewish Messiah means to become Christian. But it's also the most important question. I mean, it, 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 it drives, it drives the meaning of life. It drives the reality and the meaning of everything we experience between birth and death. If Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate, then it's all true. Then the Bible is true. Then the story of the fall of man is true. Then the story of heaven and hell is true. Then the story of the sacraments and the uh, what it takes to get into heaven and what heaven is like and the role of baptism and the role of the Eucharist and so forth, then that is all true and it cast into shadow the reality and the importance of absolutely, frankly, everything else in life. 
anyway, so uh, I'll just reread that last uh, two or three sentences from Carl Stern, and then I will um, go on to some more of his writings where he observes the meaningfulness of Jewish identity between the first and second coming of Christ. But going back to the sentence that got me launched on that little bit of a tirade, that one simple question, whether Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate, becomes increasingly decisive between people as history moves forward. Dostoevsky once said that it is the one question on which everything in the world depends. What if all that is folly in the eyes of the Greeks and scandal in the eyes of the Jews is truth? So now I will go on to a, another set of observations that Carl Stern made about the relationship between Judaism the meaningfulness of Jewish identity, given the truth of Christianity, which is a very, very beautiful observation, which is, I'm just going to introduce it with a little bit of a kind of a summary, which is that we know from the words of Christ himself that in, for a seed to bear fruit, it must fall into the ground and die. And in a similar way, for us to bear fruit for eternity, we have to die to ourselves. Um, Carl Stern makes the very beautiful observation that not only is this true for the individual, but in the case of Jews and Judaism, it's true for the people themselves. Because for, uh, for Judaism to come to its full fruition, which of course is in Christianity, then Jewish identity itself has to fall into the ground and die because Jewish identity will not survive uh, conversion to Christianity. So with that kind of outline of, of where he's going, let me uh, turn to the words of Carl Stern. By the way, again, if anyone wishes to call in and join the conversation, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. The great German Lutheran writer, Ricardo Hook, once remarked that for the Jews to become converted to Christ means an extraordinary sacrifice. Not only must the individual die with him in order to live, it is the whole people that must die with him. By some mysterious twist of fate, the Jews are the only people which cannot remain a people and be Christian at the same time. Christ extolled a double sacrifice from his people. Not only the individual Adam has to die to be dissolved in Christ, the group too has to be dissolved. And let me interject there. So you see the observation that uh, Carl Stern is making is that uh, obviously if one's Irish, one can become Catholic or be Catholic and maintain the identity of being Irish through the generations uh, you know, if one's, if one's Russian, one can become Catholic and maintain their Russian identity even through the generations. But by some mysterious twist of fate, the Jews are the only people which cannot remain a people and be Christian at the same time. The Jew as an individual has to die to himself when he, um, uh, when he becomes Christian, when he becomes a part of Christ. But the Jewish people as a nation have to die to the nationhood of the Jewish people when they enter the body of Christ. Back to Carl Stern's words. 
This is one of the most profound remarks ever made on the so-called Jewish problem. It touches the very center of it. The Jewish contemporaries of Christ who rejected him knew that by accepting him, they would sacrifice the nation. The one and only condition under which they would have accepted him, he had to refuse. He could not be their national leader, and this in spite of the imminent danger from outside. This was a superhuman demand. It seems the natural right of every nation to defend itself in times of danger. In the case of the Jews, the word of the, quote, seed that falls into the ground, close quote, referred not only to the individual, but to the group. The Jews maintained the idea of racial integrity at a time when it had lost its transcendental meaning, for all was fulfilled in Christ. If death, as Berdyaev expresses it, gives meaning to life, here the ultimate death of a nation will give meaning to its life. But before that happens, our people is condemned to live on as some sort of a ghost representing the idea of racism. Let me stop there and comment on this. Uh, Karl Stern was a German Jew. He fled Nazi Germany. Um, much of his family uh, was exterminated in the, in the concentration camps, in the extermination camps of the Nazis. He knew firsthand the extreme racism of the Nazis of the Third Reich, and in fact was a target of that racism. And he is making a very interesting and in some sense uh, scandalous point, which is that that there is embedded into the nation, there is embedded into the nature of the Jewish people, into the entire premise of the Jewish ethnicity, a kind of racism. The Jews were the chosen people. That's not their fault. They were chosen by God. There was a kind of divinely instituted racism. I know I'm saying this in a, in a particularly scandalous way, but the exclusionary aspect of the Jewish people, their sense, their self-understanding of being a chosen people, their understanding that they were called upon by God to stay separate from other people, was put there by God. It was put there by God so that they would stay separate for 2,000 years and bring about the coming of the Messiah. Um, so you could see that Jewish exclusivity and that Jewish self-identity as a chosen people as a kind of divinely instituted racism, if you will. Um, it, it was meaningful only until the time Christ came in the sense that it, that exclusionary aspect, that, that Jewish national identity was put there in order to enable the incarnation. As Carl Stern said, and by the way, I'm, what I'm doing here is explaining what Carl Stern is saying. I am not 100% putting my stamp of approval on it, not that my stamp of approval would mean anything anyway. And I'm certainly not saying that it is the only view of things, but I am trying to expound on Carl Stern's uh, deep, uh, deeply philosophical, and I think worthy of consideration view of things. So back to uh, what Carl Stern said, the Jews maintained the idea of racial integrity at a time when it had lost its transcendental meaning. In other words, Jewish national identity, Jewish racial integrity had a transcendental meaning. It had a meaning in the economy of salvation. It had a meaning in the eyes of God. It was put there 
by God for its transcendental meaning, which had to do with bringing about the coming of Christ. Yet it lost that transcendental meaning, according to Stern, when, quote, all was fulfilled in Christ. It was the death of the transcendental meaning of the Jewish racial ident- integrity which gave meaningfulness to it, in fact, if you see what I mean. Just like that seed which falls into the ground and bears fruit because of the death of the seed, it was the death of the transcendental meaning of Jewish racial integrity which gave meaningfulness to that Jewish racial integrity in the first place because it bore fruit. The fruit of it was Christianity. The fruit of it was salvation through Jesus. That was its fulfillment in itself. So just like the death of the individual gives ultimate meaning to his or her life and the death to self gives the ultimate meaning in in the rebirth in Christ, the ultimate death of the Jewish nation gave meaning, meaning the ultimate meaning to the life of the Jewish nation. In other words, in its fulfillment in Christ. However, however, in their... Um, in the maintenance of that Jewish racial integrity at the time, at a time when it has lost its transcendental meaning, in other words, after the coming of Christ, it goes on as some sort of ghost representing the idea of racism. So it's this kind of shadowy, I, I'm not going to actually try to improve on the words of Carl Stern there. Now, I'm not pushing this out of myself, and I'm not even saying that I 100% subscribe to it. But there is a very, very beautiful, at least a very beautiful core thought there about the way that Jewish identity, just the way the individual's true fulfillment comes with the seed falling to the ground and dying. The true fulfillment of the Jewish nation comes with its um, uh, dissolution, so to speak. It's dissolving into Christianity. Um, anyway, going on with the words of Carl Stern, if I still have anyone who's um, listening, uh, I, let me let me back that up and explain why I make that comment. This issue about the meaningfulness of Jewish identity in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ is a very, very hot topic among us Jews who are in the Catholic Church. And there are um, there's a large you could say half of us think that there is a tremendous importance to maintaining Jewish identity um, even after conversion, uh, that there's a tremendous importance to the visible maintenance of the Jewish community in between the first and second coming of Christ and the visible maintenance of a Jewish community within the church in between the first and second coming of Christ. And yet there are also some who think that is by the very structure and meaningfulness of things that there should be a kind of a dissolution into invisibility when a Jew, um, uh, to Jewish identity when a Jew enters the church. So um, that's that's why I said that, sorry, because I have a feeling that if there are other Jewish Catholics listening, they may not subscribe 100% to Carl Stern's attitude as, in fact, I'm not sure that I do, but I think it's a very, very beautiful uh, beautiful set of thoughts. Um, by the way, let me make a little caveat on that. I personally believe there is one tremendously valuable aspect to the maintenance of a visible Jewish community in the Catholic Church, which is to show 
to serve as an example to Jews who come to faith in Jesus or beginning to suspect that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, to have a visible example of other Jews who have come to the same conclusion makes it um, makes the transition uh, far easier. It, it lowers the the hurdle quite a bit. Um, anyway, back to Carl Stern. The Orthodox Jew who rejects Christ vigorously is much closer to the Christian than enlightened intellectuals who keep the sayings of the, quote, great social reformer, close quote, Jesus on their bookshelves next to anthologies of Confucius. Confucius, Because by their vigorous denial, the Orthodox constantly restate the potentiality of a true Messiah and of his divinity whereas the others, no matter how good their intentions may be, rob the god of history and the god of the thorn bush of his devouring fire. If one believes in a concept of history which is not materialist, then one must admit that the dynamics of spiritual development is constantly fed and upheld by the dialectic antithesis which exists between synagogue and church. Let me uh, let me unpack that a little bit. First of all, uh, he's making the point, which I think also is very beautiful, that the vigorously pious Orthodox Jew is, in a sense, asserting the truth of Christianity in a more profound way than the wishy-washy, secular, almost Christian who just thinks Jesus is a great social teacher. Because in their lively expectation of a, the coming of a Messiah who will transform the relationship between man and God, they're actually asserting the truth of what lies underneath Jesus, essentially. In other words, they're asserting the truth of who the Messiah is and what will happen when the Messiah comes and the truth of the promise of the coming of the Messiah. So they're actually living out in assertion of a kind of foundation of a Christian dogma, the foundation of Christian dogma, which uh, was was prophesying the coming of Jesus, so to speak. Uh, and we know, uh, I mean, uh, uh, we know, uh, I believe it was um, St. Augustine who said, he asked himself the question, why did God arrange things so that Jews are still visible presence in the world even after the coming of Jesus and one of the answers he came up with was that because by their visible presence they are a living testimony to the truth of the Old Testament and a living testimony to the truth of the prophecies the prophecies of Judaism that is the prophecies of the coming of Jesus back to uh, Carl Stern Um, if a Hasidic mystic and a follower of St. John of the Cross could know one another, not be separated by a barbed wire of social and political prejudice, but in a spirit of charity, they would be amazed how akin they are in their striving. Now, remember, Carl Stern is writing around the time of the Holocaust, um, and thank God, the relationship between the Jewish community and the Catholic church community has been tremendously transformed in the time since the Second World War, and in particular 
by the sequence of popes, um, John the 23rd, John Paul the second, um, and, uh, Benedict and now Pope Francis. So in fact, one of the first books that I read of Pope Francis is a book length dialogue that he had with a, uh, Orthodox rabbi in Argentina. Um, and it, in fact, the book is a testimony to the truth of what Carl Stern is saying here that, uh, if a Hasidic mystic, mystic and a follower of St. John of the Cross could know one another, um, in a spirit of charity, they would be amazed how akin they are in their striving. That, that book, um, unfortunately, this name of it escapes me now, uh, is, I mean, it just is, is permeated with the commonality of the spirit of striving between, uh, who, who was, uh, Cardinal Bergoglio, who's now Pope Francis, and this Argentinian rabbi. Back to Carl Stern. It was a perturbing experience for me just when I had rediscovered Judaism, just when I had become immensely proud of my spiritual heritage in the midst of the most plebeian stupidity, when I, just when I had found something absolutely certain while others around me were choking in the fear created by a world of shifting uncertainties to see that I might have to abandon what I found. What Carl Stern is referring to here is that the first stage of his conversion was a conversion to Orthodox Judaism. And then, as a fervent Orthodox Jew, he came to the realization that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah and had to leave that certainty that he had found for to leap out into the unknown to Christianity. Back to Carl Stern. Today I know that there was actually nothing I had to give up. On a spiritual plane, Christianity is Jewry. It is Jewry led to its fulfillment. There is no essential truth of the Old Testament which the Christian denies. Well, there you have in two sentences uh, the purpose of this show. I will repeat that. On a spiritual plane, Christianity is Jewry. It is Jewry led to its fulfillment. There is no essential truth of the Old Testament which the Christian denies. I saw then that the fate of my people was intimately associated with the fate of Christ in the world, that there were people around me who held in their hearts the God of Israel, although they were not Jews, and in the intensity and profundity of their lives, I saw the messianic prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled. This was the beginning of a new outlook on life. Something old had burst, though I did not want this fact to be true. Something new had sprung up. I did not know where I was being led, but I felt that insight meant obligation. I knew that there would come a time when I would have to make the big jump into the unknown. Under the indescribable dread of persecution, I began to see the meaning of the mystery of Israel. However, no matter how intense this experience was, it only initiated a change in my life. Christ is not only the Messiah to Israel. If he means anything, then his meaning transcends all national destiny. It would affect you as a person, even if you were alone on this planet. So I think I may uh, take advantage of that little bit of a break there. We usually around halfway through the show, take a short musical break and I will take a, uh, uh, take a break in a moment. 
Uh, let me say before I do that the number here is 866-333-6279. If you wish to call in with any questions or comments, you might wish to do so uh, during the short musical break. It's a good time because then coming out of the break, I'm able to take your call. And um, so let me uh, just invite any people interested in calling to call in during this break. And then let me go to the break by repeating two or three of the sentences I just read. I saw then that the fate of my people was intimately associated with the fate of Christ in the world, that there were people around me who held in their hearts the God of Israel, although they were not Jews, and in the intensity and profundity of their lives, I saw the messianic prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled. In other words, Carl Stern saw in the Christian, truly living Christianity, the fulfillment of Judaism. So with that, let's go to the break. Be back in a few moments. You've been listening to Roy Shoman, the Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. Back in a moment.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, welcome back to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. And I've been uh, reading today from some of the observations of Carl Stern, a very notable uh, Jewish to Catholic convert from uh, the middle of the 20th century, uh, a German Jewish Holocaust refugee who became a psychiatrist in the New World, so to speak, and um, became a fervent Catholic and, and wrote some very beautiful things. Uh, and I did beg for callers, as I usually do. It's very gratifying. And I uh, have been informed that we have to, so I will uh, gladly take both calls. I, I asked the second caller to hold on for a moment while I take the first caller. But Michael, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Uh, well, I've been. Uh, do you have a comment or a question? Yeah, uh, Roy, how are you? I'm a big fan, and uh, you were kind enough to respond to a couple of emails of mine in the past. Um, I was telling Evan that your book and your your uh, talks, your website, have done more for my Catholic uh, education than any of my Catholic uh, upbringing, which was, you know, pretty, pretty, um, I guess, devout. Um, so that was that's the first point. And I guess from a, a, a Catholic growing up in the '60s and the '70s, it was always about the New Testament, and there was never, you know, a lot of focus on the uh, the Old Testament. In fact. Um, you know, I think either when we were a communion or a confirmation, we were given books called the uh, Good News for Modern Man, and it was just just the part of the New Testament. And what you're doing is really bringing in the Old Testament and completing the whole picture, which is, um, at least from my experience, not really a focus of, of Catholicism. Um, so um, I, I really uh, think that's a, a great part of, of the teaching. Um, I just want to also tell you just, from your experience or, your, or what you've introduced me to, I just uh, went to my nephew's bar mitzvah, who happens to be the same name as mine. Um, my brother David is raising his uh, his two children uh, uh, Jewish, and you know, just because of your outlook um, or your perspective, uh, I will say I, I sat through four hours of his bar mitzvah and just had a completely different experience. You know, all, like you know, more of a, a part of my faith than as something separate. It was just, it's just been an interesting experience for me since I started reading and following you. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful to hear. Um, and uh, thank you very much also for calling. And by the way, I'm very always very happy to receive emails, too, if people are, are too shy to uh, call in. I, uh, as, as you're, you know, Michael, saying, I actually do do respond to them. Um, I, I, this may or may not be relevant, but I'll just throw it in for, for other listeners in case it is. One is it's, it's interesting to think of the relationship between Jesus, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old and, uh, debating with the, uh, with the rabbis there and the relationship between that and the bar mitzvah, because it's, it's impossible for a Jew who enters the Catholic church not to see those three days in the temple as um, somehow mystically very, very uh, united with the bar mitzvah. The bar mitzvah is like the Catholic confirmation when the when the boy is thirteen, around thirteen years old, he enters mm-hmm. into religious adulthood. It's the it's the transition between not being a 
religiously speaking, not being a full adult yet and, and becoming an adult. And uh, it's probably the case that the bar mitzvah as it exists today did not exist 2,000 years ago. That's an issue of some controversy. But there was some, um, uh, first of all, there, were, there, were, there was some thing parallel to the bar mitzvah, some, some prototype of it back then probably. And even if there wasn't, uh, mystically, mystically, <laughs> mystically, that was a bar mitzvah. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's such a beautiful echo of, uh, of Judaism and of, um, of, uh, Christianity. The other thing, because of the time of the year we are at, um, one of my favorite feast days is January the 1st, which is now the uh, feast day of Mary, the mother of God. But, uh, until the calendar was revised, it was the feast day of Jesus' circumcision because it hmm. occurs seven days after Christmas. So, and even turning it into the feast day of Mary, the mother of God, is actually, uh, I, I think in some sense, it's a translation of the feast of, of, of Jesus' circumcision. So it is the day, you can think of it as a day that in a unique way unites uh, Judaism with its fulfillment in Christianity. Because what was the first blood that Jesus shed, Jesus shed for our salvation? The first blood that he shed for our salvation was his circumcision. The first blood that he shed mm-hmm. was his circumcision. And it was blood that was shed in fulfillment of the Jewish covenant between man and God. So anyway, you're mentioning the bar mitzvah just kind of reminded me of that. So I thought I'd throw that in. Well, they do. A, I'll tell you one thing. The Jews do a great job in educating. And that whole process is so different than the Catholic uh confirmation which is kind of casual if i will say and not, you know i don't know it seems like uh it's a really important thing that um uh, an important process that is a lot of work and i think it's kind of missing in the in the catholic uh church yeah. from what my experience was but both personally and i see my three kids go through it and it's not taken nearly as seriously which i think is a is, is a you know uh missed opportunity I don't know if it's like that around the world, around the country, but uh, uh, yeah, that's my experience. You're 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 mentioning something which I I think is all too true. This is not my most politically correct uh, show, I guess. So I don't hope I don't get too much trouble for it. But <laughs> one, of problems, one of the problems for being Catholic is it's kind of like being on welfare. It's kind of like being a Swede in Sweden and being able to get such a good income not working you know, just just on, on welfare payments, that you're demotivated to work. In other words, the Catholic gets so much relationship to God simply by being Catholic that they don't put the effort into it that people of other religions put into it, um, who have to work far, far harder to get much less, if you see what I mean. So the image... Yeah, no, I, I do. Have, and that comes through in your teachings and your writing, and I could see that. And that's that was new to me. Your perspective—that's why I'm saying your new. Your perspective was just an eye opener to me, and how much you appreciate, you know, what's in the Catholic Church. But it's not like you said; it's it's taken so casually, and uh, you know, it's not um, it's not talked about. Even like the yeah. miracles that you talk about too; those are like you know, no one talks about those kind of things. So, um, well, yeah, so I think there's there's something to be said for that. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the moral support and for listening and for the emails and stuff. And well, thank um, you. Keep up the great work. I'm a big fan and give your book out whenever I can. 
<laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks. And now let's uh, let's go. If if she's been patient enough to hold on, are you still there, Louise? Yes, I am. Great. And while I was, I I have a question. Plus, I want to make a comment on what uh, your uh, last caller said. And uh, one of the things that he said, maybe the Catholic Church is not doing as well teaching as well. But you know what? It's up to each one of us to speak out, and it's not easy, believe me. <laughs> you know, when we see something or that's not, even within our families or friends, we have to evangelize and say, this is the way it should be, and this is what the teaching is really is. And like I said, it's not easy sometimes, and people kind of get offended, but you have to say the truth. So that's my comment on that. Are you there? I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It would okay. be nice if, if there were fewer occasions for speaking out, but when, when they rise, we definitely are called to do so, of course. I, it is. And, you know, I've had a couple of days that I've run into people uh, as Catholics and some older and one very young, and I did speak out, and it was a very friendly encounter because we were sp started speaking on something in common, and all of a sudden it got into religion. And so I was able to speak out, and it, w it wasn't hard that time. But within family, sometimes it is. But my, um, my getting back to the, why I called, I have, and you don't have to answer this because um, there's times. But anyway, my question is, with the Middle East wars and maybe the wars coming over here, ISIS and all, is that more of a, and I like to see things through a, a Catholic way, a Christian way. I, that's the way I, I see things. Do you think it's more of a spiritual war than anything else? And that's my question. Well, sure, it's a great question. Thank you. And uh, I, I think it's entirely a spiritual war. I, I think that, um, again, <laughs> boy, this is really, this is really. I not know. I, like I said, you show, don't have to answer I'm just it. Trying to think of how to how to how to express it without getting in too much trouble. But yes, of course, what we're seeing is a frontal assault on Christianity, which of course is God's true religion. Um, and any religion that denies Christianity is a, is a false religion. Uh, Judaism is in a unique situation because it's a, like a, it's a pre, it was, it's a once true religion, so to speak. It's, I don't want to say it's an obsolete religion, but you can think of it as that way, that, that Judaism's denial of Christianity is just a not, not recognizing the truth which happened after Judaism, which is the coming of, of Jesus, which changed everything. But Islam is in a totally different situation because all of the revelation of Islam came six centuries after Jesus. None of that revelation could be true because it denies Christianity. It denies, it doesn't deny that Jesus lived, but it denies that Jesus was the son of God. It denies that Jesus was divine. It denies that Jesus was in the same category as, as Muhammad. So, um, so clearly, uh, you know, it's, it is a, um, assault against Christianity in a sense, spiritually. The, the lands where Islam, uh, started and the lands that Islam took over were the cradle of Christianity. Those countries, um, uh, Iraq and Iran and Egypt, I mean, that, that's, that's where, that's where the early Christians were. That, that's where the first, 
a flush of, of Christianity was. That's where St. Augustine was. That's, that, that, that was the cradle of Christianity. And it's exactly there where this new impulse came and displaced Christianity. And then it's displacing Christianity throughout the world now. It's largely, I, I don't want to say displaced Christianity in Europe, but it's clearly a force pushing away Christianity in Europe. You know, it's much less visibly one in the United States now. So, but yes, I, I, I don't, can't see it any other way. I, I can't even imagine any other way to see it, um, a, other than spiritually. I think, as a matter of fact, um, Carl Stern, I, I don't think I'll find the quote offhand, but, uh, Carl Stern in one of the quotes I was going to read today, uh, talks about Basically, all of history is spiritual history. Uh, you know, it's a materialistic view of history is missing the motive force behind, behind the unfolding of history. So you wouldn't have something as big as the rise of Islam, the displacement of Christianity in the Middle East uh, through Islam, and now the the threat to Christianity in Europe and elsewhere coming from Islam if it, if it wasn't a spiritual story. And, um, so, and I will say just to put in a little plug, um, there is a, a very beautiful Catholic historian named Warren Carroll, uh, his last name is C-A-R-R-O-L-L, who wrote, he, he's a historian and he writes or wrote, I think he's passed away now, um, books on major, major movements in world history, all from a very Catholic perspective, from a very spiritual perspective, uh, showing everything as the outgrowth of spiritual battles. And I, uh, they're very beautiful books and, um, very accessible. I mean, in other words, they're, they're not hard reading. They're not, uh, heavy reading. They're heavy spiritually, but they're written in a way that would be easy for a 12 or 13 year old to read much less an adult. There's one on the rise of communism called, um, uh, white mantle, red banner, or it might be red banner, white mantle, which, uh, talks about the spiritual interplay between the apparition of Fatima, the blessed Virgin Mary in Fatima and the rise of, um, Bolshevism, the rise of communism. And another beautiful one, called um on the um oh the cross and the guillotine which is on the french revolution and the the basically the the assault on christian europe at the time of the french revolution the secularization of what had been the roman holy roman empire and the forces behind the french revolution itself and um one on the virgin of guadalupe and the the conquistadors against the Aztecs, and I am drawing a blank right now on that uh, book by Warren Carroll, but they're all, I think you'd like them because they're all exactly along the lines of, of what you're talking about, which is just looking at what goes on in these major movements in the world as spiritual warfare, as spiritual battles. And I think the time we're in now is definitely that, that the rise of communism was very visibly that, if you look at the, um, for instance, the the Republican Spain and what happened there with the destruction of the churches, um, and so first, there, I mean, in our time, so to speak, you had the rise of uh, communism, which is an assault against Christianity. You had the rise of Nazism, which is an assault against Christianity. You had the rise of 
of secularism, which is an assault against Christianity. And now you have the um, physical assault, at least in some parts of the world, of fundamentalist Islam against Christianity. Uh, I think we're living in very exciting times. That's my answer. Still there, Louise? Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And it's Warren Carroll, correct? It's, like it's Warren Carroll. And uh, he wrote also some heavy scholarly books, which I don't recommend unless you have a lot of uh, patience and, and self-discipline. But these more, more popular books, are they're just delightful. And, and uh, you know, we'd be in such a different world if people saw history that way. Um, and it's the only way to see history. And, of course, it's the only way to see, I mean, nothing is, how can I put this? There is no major event in world history which is more uniquely spiritual in its in its uh, driving forces and the holocaust itself and the rise of nazism and the attempt to exterminate the jews uh, makes no sense except as a as a spiritual warfare between um the forces of the antichrist and the um uh, the, the forces of Christianity, I, I, I don't have time to go on now about why Jews would themselves represent a force of Christianity, but I do so in my book. So anyway, yes, absolutely. Oh, well, I, I thank you very much. And I, I guess it gives us a lot of responsibility as Christians, as Catholics, to pray for this, you know, uh, for the conversion of ourselves and for the Muslims and for the Jewish people and for all of us. And to see every time... <laughs> This is my last comment, and it's probably controversial, but whenever you see politicians or um, the news, you should see them through those eyes of as being a Catholic, and it's kind of disturbing sometimes, but that's my last comment on that. So, Well, thanks Thank a lot so. for the, the comments. Thanks a lot for the call. Absolutely. And by the way, um, uh, we have this wonderful advantage as Catholics, which is we know about prayer. And absolutely, I think the reason to watch the evening news, if you do watch the evening news, is to pray. The reason to pay attention to what goes on in elections is to pray. The reason to, the only, uh, on one hand, in some sense, the only thing we can do is pray. But on the other hand, the only thing that is effective is prayer. So it's not such a bad situation to be in. So uh, anyway, we've come to the end of our time today. This is Roy Shulman. You've been listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. Celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church. Celebrates the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church. Celebrates the infinite gift, the absolute inconceivable gift that we have in the Catholic Church, which we will be completely, almost completely blind to until we die and see it from the other side. There's no way we'll be able to ever wrap our minds on earth around what we've been given in the Catholic Church and what we've been given by the grace to be Catholics. But it is to shed a little light of that on that from the outside through the perspective and through the word sometimes of converts to the Catholic Church who are sometimes in a better position to see it since they're looking at it from the outside, that this show exists. And if you tune in next week, I will have God willing, a uh, again, a live show with a guest who is a uh, Jewish convert to the Catholic Church. Um, so you will be able to hear his witness testimony firsthand. Uh, but until then, this is Roy Shoman saying goodbye for now. You've been listening to 
Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, on Radio Maria. I hope you tune in again next week. Bye for now.